Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. I'm your host, Mike Gravano, and this season we're digging into 2001. This week specifically, we'll be talking about Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven with me. I cannot, I cannot do that alone. I'd have to slowly tell you about all my friends and then suddenly you look up and they're there next to me. Uh, you, you got you got to have your bing bang. When you're talking to a podcast and talking about this kind of heist movie, you got to have your bing bang. And this bing bang is my best friend who won last week is Ryan. Mike, you have to have at least two Hank Hills, right? <laughs> One yeah. Ella Fitzgerald, three Weird Al Yankovics, and a Scott Ackerman. And I'm going to try to be all of that for you. You cannot because we got the best Weird Al in the business. And that's <laughs> Greg. Hey, oh man. I wish I had my accordion. Uh, oh well, next time. We'll do it next time, everybody. If you guys had to learn one goofy instrument, what would it be? Not the accordion. That seems really complicated. It's difficult. It's several yeah, instruments taped together. Yeah, that's a lot of work. I think if you think about it, all instruments are goofy. All of them. You yeah. have to like put your it. body in a weird move, uh, in a weird way, and then just be like, oh, sound is coming out now. Yeah, I've I've gone to lesson one of most instruments and then quit. And all of them are like, you gotta put your finger in a way that feels really uncomfortable that it definitely no. physically should never be. I know. And that's I will how you never know you're doing un- it right. I will never do something that requires that I be uncomfortable, even for one second. <laughs> but Greg, that's your choice. That's yeah. not because you're like musically not talented. You are deciding no. to do that. Uh, I heard that the the typical option is harmonica because it can't go out of tune. We do not have the ears to like tune an instrument, Oof, so right. it's harmonica. Nobody wants to hear you play the harmonica, though. I think guitar, because I think guitar is relatively inoffensive to other people. You can get kind yeah. of okay at it. Just learn a few chords. Just do some strummies. Yeah, the problem with so many instruments is the learning. It's going to sound horrible. And guitar horrible is not nearly as bad as harmonica sort of good. Like, yeah, you're gonna yeah, be, dude. You're gonna be so, it's going to be such an irritating sound until you're an expert on the harmonica. What do you guys think about it? Were you glad that harmonica ended up with Har Chandler? Or did you think that she should have ended up with Har Ross? Oh, well, Har Ross is her brother. I'm call my mom. She should have been with Har Richard. Oh, mom, really? Come pick me up. Ryan. Yeah, I thought he was great. Har Tom Harselic? Har Tom Harselic. Dude, Tom Selleck was the heart and soul of that show, obviously, moving on. Yeah, you know what? We should move on because we're here to talk about Ocean's Eleven, also uh, starring Elliot Gould. Oh yes, shit! Good, yeah. good. Co- that he that's Harmonica's is, dad. Yes, uh, and <laughs> he was wants totally a fine in the city with his best friend fucking his daughter, forty years junior. As somebody God, who's about weird. to have a daughter, can't wait for that shit from you two. Can't I wait to deal with have that. Often called myself the Tom Selleck of our friend group, and we will just see how true that is in thirty years. Honestly, that does recontextualize it, like how gross that is. When I was a kid, yeah. that was just like a presented as a relationship in that show, and so I didn't really think well, about it. When you're a kid, they're all adults, basically the yeah. same age. Yeah. Now you're like, what yeah. the fuck? Mike, if you try that funny business, I'm going to fight you. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Well, you'll know if it's cool if all of her friends start wearing the same mustache I have. Then it's not creepy. It's awesome. I'm going to fight you preemptively. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> you know what? I respect Tonight, your man of honor. of the year. <laughs> Well, staying six of, feet apart, Greg and Mike fight. <laughs> Speaking of dirtbags with honor, uh, Ocean's <laughs> Eleven, overall, what is your relationship to this film and how how are you feeling about it, Greg? 
I saw it in 2001, and it was a fun time of the movies. It's, it's cool, a romp. It's sleek. It's a romp. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of fun. And then I I hadn't seen it since. Um, I have seen Oceans 12, 13, and 8. Uh, never 9 or 10. I never saw, I never saw 9 or 10. But, <laughs> <laughs> right, right? Ryan. <laughs> That's so deserved. I really appreciate that. These guys are keeping me in line. But uh, and then I, I watched friends. I watched it recently for this show, and you know I think that there is a certain magic to watching this movie the first time that is that like inescapable, and you're just chasing the dragon from that point forward. Interesting, <laughs> Ryan. So is it like uh, going on Space Mountain right now? Just like hey. Twist and turns. <laughs> Way to go, twist and turns. You've done it again, twist and turns. Uh, I fucking love this movie. I've seen it dozens of times. I've seen it elevens of times. Dozens <laughs> minus ones of times. And uh, I th- this time watching it, I okay. I uh, it's gonna be one of those shows. Shall I uh, I. Uh, <laughs> There's some things that I didn't notice before that I liked. There's some stuff that I didn't like before that uh, now I'm sort of just okay with. Uh, but yeah, I just I think that this is like sort of the perfect, like the emblematic version of the popcorn movie, which I think a lot of people say that and they're like, well, it's fucking terrible. So therefore, I'll call it a popcorn movie. And then like that will be people will like not be mad at me that I like it. I think that this is right. Or even Transformers 2 or like, for instance, as an example, Transformers 3. Dark Side of the Moon. I have Dark a question, oh, Ryan, but I'll wait until you keep going. It's about Transformers. Okay, is it? Tra- it's about Transformers Bumblebee. Four. It's Bumble- Does Bumblebee. It knows- count? I was gonna say Bump Ryan Bumblebee. Yeah, Bumblebee counts as sure as 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 does Transformers Four or Five. Um, I think that this is way better. This is a great popcorn movie. I don't know if it like competes with like the Haneke movies that we have watched in this season. Yeah. As far as like, uh, what is society? But I. Love this movie. And I'm about to find out over the course of the next hour and a half. Do I feel bad about that or not? I do have to yeah, say... Yeah, I can't wait for you to find that out. It is the movie equivalent of a man cave, though. Mm-hmm. It, like, it it really, it feels like... Yeah, the, there's the, a the, lot of St. Paulie's Girl neon on yeah, the walls down here. A lot of, like, big leather chairs, and there's a pool table, and everyone goes and kind of leans on and stuffs. Yeah. As much as I love this movie, it's crazy that the Entourage HBO show was like, oh, let's make a movie. With this movie already existing. Yeah. <laughs> like, why did they do that? You should have just made a TV show of Ocean's Eleven, Entourage. Uh, going into the main show, I do want to let the listeners know that Ryan was my best friend for the whole last week. Uh, he won. And going into this, uh, find out why they have these points over at patreon.com slash filter And hear the bonus segment where we build the Pro Stars 2001 cartoon. Uh, and based on that show, Greg has four points and Ryan has five points. And so we will continue to see how the points stack up throughout the show. This is not just a fun friend talk about movie show. This is fucking serious. This is Ocean's Eleven, movie of the year, when we come back. Ocean's Eleven is one of the last true star vehicles of Hollywood and helped create the highest boom that followed in the early aughts. Based on the Rat Pack film of the 60s, Steven Soderbergh replaced the crooners with a who's who of Hollywood's biggest names. From George Clooney to Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, and a who's who of character actors, including Elliot Gould, Bernie Mac, Eddie Jemison, and Don Cheadle, to create a lived-in universe of criminal masterminds as they plan to rob three casinos, all owned by Andy Garcia's Tony Benedict, in a single night. Taste Buds, I ask you this. With all of those stars, is this still Soderbergh's movie? 
how do we think he changes it over value over replacement director? I, I, I think it absolutely is. And I think that it is a little bit of a director's experiment. You know, it's like when they go out and like, oh, what would it be like to do like uh, a black and white art film from the 60s? And then we have to sit through that. This is different because it's entertaining, but it's absolutely his movie. And I think it's because that the screenwriter nailed all of the scenes that have people talking to each other and maybe didn't do such a good job with all the scenes where people weren't talking to each other. <laughs> and it, it, it may have been a little vanilla. And if we got our Vord, if we got like our Brett Ratner, if we want to set that person as our replacement I would love director, to have a non... Sexual assaulty person yeah. as our board. Yeah, Patrick Wilson is our Vora because he's such a good dude. Well, let's say Patrick Wilson directed this movie. Um, cool. I think that Steven Spielberg is working overtime to have little seconds and moments of this being uh, way more entertaining, way more of a throwback, and at the same time, way more modern. And then also uh, include 10 minutes of script in 30 seconds of screen time. This like if this movie came out in 2020, it would be two hours 45 minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because it it ultimately is an exceptionally simple movie. It's about what's supposed to be a very complex heist. But the first time we hear about the heist, it's we're not going to rob one casino, we're going to rob three, and you're like, oh shit, this is going to be super complicated. And it's like because they all share one vault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Which, you know, I'm sure they disincluded from the trailers. That's you know yeah. that is. But I think that's part of what makes this movie work, right? Because what we really want is we want to see Brad Pitt and George Clooney just sort of like chill and lean against a car and just hang charm out. charm at each other? Yeah, and just and just talk. And then we want to watch Brad Pitt like eat something, which he is weirdly just the fucking master of. In, in a shirt that not only could I never afford, but also would look terrible in and then would also drip nacho cheese all over. Like Brad Pitt is eating this stuff and uh, not destroying his clothes. I have to say we we are like we're going to be talking about the fashion later. So one of the things I did was like look at like everybody's clo- clothes really close up. Man, Brad Pitt's collars are going off in this movie. His shirt collar like they are cartoonishly big. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Yeah, it makes me think Ricky, what is his character's name other than Brad Pitt? Uh Rusty, Rusty? Ryan. Rusty Ryan, which is now your new nickname. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> well, sometimes he... I don't podcast for a week. I'm a little <laughs> Rusty Ryan. I, I do think if a movie was about him or we got to see him without this crew, it would be what a slimy douchebag he is. Based on <laughs> his clothing and like his very familiar with the strippers and their lives. Like I think that is his actual... He's the nightclub hound. Well, well that's I mean, part of that, the... There's an argument to be made part. that like, he's <laughs> as sociopathic as Benedict. Like, mm-hmm. Benedict is crazy. Like, no emotions. And Rusty Ryan might also be on that same level of, like, I want George or I want Danny to get his girl. And I want uh, Linus to, you know, like, learn how to be a person. And I want this whole team to grow together. In the meantime, I'm a fucking psychopath with no yeah. emotions whatsoever. I just need my burgers all the time. <laughs> That's, I think, part of the genius of this movie, and maybe this goes back to Soderbergh, because this is the kind of world that he constantly creates. First of all, Soderbergh, man, this dude be making a lot of movies. Like, I I, I was like... <laughs> oh, it's I like always three like, a year. I like to always look up the director, because usually I'm like, oh yeah, this director has made several movies that I like. And I know Soderbergh's big name, but I did not realize that he has made like like uh, the average year in Hollywood. 
75% of the movies are made by this guy. <laughs> um, I mean, this is the kind of guy who, like, he'll be walking down the street and he'll find a dollar in the gutter and he'll be like, oh, I'm going to make a movie. And then just have a $1 budget. One, dollar, part of, one gutter dollar budget. And that part was Haywire. The, part of the genius of this Terrible. movie is he puts you on the inside of this group. And because you're on the inside of it, you see things the way they see things. And it's mm-hmm. when you have that perspective, like Ryan said, of like moving yourself out of the group, then you can see that like they're not quite as nice as they appear. And that's what yeah. Soderbergh always makes this world where a gun goes off and it's funny and everybody laughs because nobody got shot. Mm-hmm. But it's only funny because nobody got shot. There's so many moments in this movie where it's like, because Soderbergh creates a universe that rewards risky behavior, it's cute. But there's so many times in the movie where if things just go the way they should go, it's not cute anymore because there's repercussions right. for these type of actions. And that's a part of the masculinity of this movie that ultimately makes it, I think, uncomfortable is that it's like, it's their world. So if mm-hmm. you're in part of that group, it's fun the way they do every if, whatever they want in the world. But if you're outside it even a little bit, it's like, don't shut down the power to the whole city. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that's sort of the point of it, is that Soderbergh will go out and make two or three of these movies per year that like really show how devastating humans can be. You know, like really showing the human experience. And then... This movie, where I really am going to do my best job to get you to ignore it. And the way that yeah. he does that is by basically uh, taking all of the history of Hollywood and piling it in. I mean, if we really get into it, like there are aspects of 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s Hollywood in this movie. And that is what he is relying on, maybe to a fault, but utilizing so you don't do that thing. You just yeah. enjoy what it's like to hang out with the cool people for the fucking first time in your entire life <laughs> some of that is by by having carl reiner and elliot gould be part of the big crew so it's like hearkening to different eras of hollywood okay i thought you were gonna say that elliot gould is not part of the cool people because then i was gonna fucking you were gonna catch some fists. <laughs> no he's one of the 11 for sure elliot gould yeah. is the coolest guy who's ever lived man okay i fucking love Elliot. i'm gould. glad to hear you say that it's interesting because in, in so many ways this is such a simpler dumber movie than mulholland drive but in the way that it like compresses all of these Hollywood influences and just wants to go out and have a good time, I have a feeling that like it would make David Lynch <laughs> happy. I feel like he likes this movie probably, and you can see some of like the same sort of like reverential love for the stupid parts of Hollywood. Like this movie celebrates kind of a stupider aesthetic than. <laughs> yeah, and like I sort of love the fact that we watch these movies back to back of like. David Lynch showing us the worst of it and uh, Soderbergh showing us the better. Like this is it's, it's the efficiency that I think ultimately makes Soderbergh the main star of the movie. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that, yeah, this, this movie could have been hours and hours and hours, but what we have is this very tight and sometimes it gets a little annoying, right? When a character is like, well, huh, I'm this character. How are you? Uh, then it, it, that does get annoying. The twins. It yeah. also does slow down at weird times. Like there's times where like the pace kind of and, and like I do not think that the the paradigm of this movie, if you took the script and put it on any others after Soderbergh got done with it, it would fit on top of any other movie and match up. I think that the script was probably to the T, exactly what a script should be, and mm-hmm. how he fucks with it, how he fucks with the pacing, how he's gonna be like, oh, minute twelve. When we're supposed, this is very important. I'm gonna slow this down, and then minute twenty minutes, like twenty through twenty seven, where it's supposed to be fast. 
I'm uh, or like it's supposed to be slow. This is my time to shine. I'm gonna make a montage. He is messing with you the entire time. Yeah, the pound whole, for pound uh, montage more than any movie ever. The whole aspect of time, he just doesn't care about. He cares about your entertainment more than that, and I think that's what makes the movie the most interesting. He uh, he reverse Atlanta Burns, where isn't it? I don't know the. It's a half an hour of film and Gone with the Wind, and it was one line. And he's like, I'm going to take your 10 pages and put it into 30 seconds because do we need to watch them plan the thing and then do the thing? No, it's all in one shot, motherfuckers. Right. I think that he's, his decisions always go to what is going to make the most entertaining thing. And I think more often than not, not always, but more often than not, he does hit a home run. I think that he does do it correctly. And I agree with that, and and it's it is super fun. It's just it feels maybe a little bit emptier on on the in the same season where we've like dealt with these really heavy duty movies. And I know that like every movie gets judged according to what it's trying to do and everything, but I do feel like this is where you feel how that doesn't make everything like equal out you know i mean i do feel like this movie struggles to be as relevant or as exciting or as interesting as mulholland drive even though it is succeeding at what it's trying to do maybe even more than i mean i I think that mulholland drive is an all-timer so that one is rough but if we're going to compare it to the pian uh not the pianist it's not the pianist it's the piano teacher that's a different movie why are we i I don't know and i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) the pianist has adam brody from the oc that's that's how we can remember it. Uh, if we're comparing this to the piano teacher, that's where it hits harder for me. Is that that those are the bars that are set so differently, and yet did they clear them well? I think that Mulholland Drive should be taken out because it's a top fifty movie of all time. With these two movies, I think that they're on the same level yeah. because of how they're what that what they're saying. I'm going to execute, and then what they're actually executing. Is style over substance fine when there's this much style? I think. So, I think that's where I'm going, is that I think so. All right. Well, I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about how this movie has nothing to talk about for the rest of the show. We're going to take a quick break and look back at George Clooney's career. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Taste Buds, from time to time, we like to take a look back at a star's career. Not me. What did it mean to them? What did it mean to us? And most specifically, what did it mean to Pop Filter as an entity? Nope. Tonight. Nope. Not me. You're not doing that? I don't like this part. No, I do it under Why? protest. All right. I like people who are enthusiastic, or at least quiet. <laughs> oh, my God. So <laughs> tonight. All of Mike's hosting, all of Mike's hosting and scoring revolves around who is my friend. 
If you ever are like sort of not my friend, the other person will get a point. It's very Trumpian. Yes. If you say nice it's things, it's to win about best him. friend. <laughs> but they have to be real. I can sense falseness. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, you're, you're very but, perceptive in that way. Yeah, let's say you could do that. Right. Damn it! Neither of you right. deserved a point there. I, I'm not taking it down. I get the points. <laughs> Just sort of randomly stabbing at the board. <laughs> nope, that was purposeful. <laughs> Tonight we'll be looking at George Clooney's career, and I guess Greg doesn't care, so let's just fucking get through this as fast as possible. <laughs> you will be building a rush more to his. Uh, we're taking out all of the TV roles, and there is a lot. Really? This boy. Roseanne? For you. Roseanne? We're, we're a movie of the year, not Clooney of the year. That's true. Okay? The board stated long ago that we only talk about movies and never a thing else. Unless it's unless he had a George Clooney show. What was he, Dr. Uh, Green? It's ER. ER is the, the first er? one. So It could have been Chicago Hope. We don't know. 1987 to 1996, it's I'm Not Just a TV Star, which includes Clooney playing Oliver in Return to Horror High, Matt Stevens in Return of the Killer Tomatoes, Mac in Unbecoming Age, From Dust Till Dawn, he was Seth Gecko, ER, he was Dr. Doctor, and One Fine Day, Jack Taylor. Doctor, okay. I thought Peacemaker was his big thing, but no, one uh, uh, From Dust Till Dawn was his first big thing. Dust Till Dawn, yeah, dude, that's Dust Till Dawn was an important movie to me. Quentin Tarantino is not directing a movie, but is instead starring in a movie. This must mm. be good. I have to say that movie obviously is not good and I don't like it. There's a couple scenes that I find interesting, but the final shot of the way that like the back of the establishment, oh, yeah, is, the like, Machu like Picchu a, of it, dude, that was really good. And it made a big impression on little Greg. And so <laughs> I, I dub this movie good. Also. Yeah. And I think it's great. in like how grindhouse movies can be fun and great. Yeah. It's very proud of the fact that it's a grindhouse movie. Definitely. And then the other one was One Fine Day, where he was with Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Um, this was also it was the- a good day then. <laughs> yeah, that's the best day. <laughs> Anyone going to have a good day if they're with Michelle Pfeiffer. This was part of the whole, uh, first of all, Julius Caesar haircut, which is weird. And then also the only tilting the head. <laughs> I'm George Clooney. I act like this. Now I act like this. And now my head's tilted this way and I act like this. I'm not sure he was that good back then. He wasn't, which is surprising how many, like, campy, like, From Dust Till Dawn is the most well-known and quality, but he was in, I did not think of him as, like, this campy art movie Attack stupid of the kind Killer of Tomatoes? Yeah. Oh, no, he was return. in, he was in three movies with the, that started with the word return. Yeah, he returned <laughs> to a lot of places back then. Uh, so. Also, you know what was I'm fucking hearing- badass? You know what is the most handsome thing on a handsome guy? He had that fucking tattoo crawling out of his uh, shirt. Nick tattoo. From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. And Rusty Ryan, Brad Pitt on Ocean's Eleven had it crawling out of his sleeve. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think the next one's even better. I say fuck all of these movies. This is not the George Clooney that I have grown to no, love. No, none of these should be on the... Not even from Dust Ton, Not even ER? I mean, we can... St- no, well, ER is not a We can't movie, do ER, Mike. Stop teasing us. But the Ben Stiller show was on the original <laughs> version of the Ben yeah, Stiller. because you're a bad host. I, I, I would put... <laughs> I would put from Death Till Dawn on for right now. That's possible. Because of the neck tattoo, yeah. though. Just because of the neck tattoo. Let's okay, put it up so there. Seth Gagos you know what? We'll put on it up there. for now. Only if we can, at the end of this segment, reveal that the Mount Rushmore is actually like the very top of a cool like pyramid. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. From 1997 to 1999, we're calling it Get Ready for Action. Batman and Robin. He plays Batman. The Peacemaker, he plays the Peacemaker. 
Out of sight, he plays Jack. Out of sight, Foley. The Thin Red Line, Captain Bosch, and Three Kings, Archie Gates. All right, so Out of Sight and Three Kings are two of the best movies ever made. Out of Sight yeah. is where Soderbergh realized that he could do... Well, I think the limey might be where Soderbergh realized he could do cool, but then Out of Sight is where he perfected it, and that's how we got Ocean's Eleven. Out of Sight absolutely has to be on here. It's in my top one movies of all time. And it would be crazy but, not to have it be on here on the show about Ocean's Eleven because it feels like we don't, like you said, we don't have an Ocean's Eleven if right. we don't have Out of Sight. There is no way. It would be out of mind. A very famous movie everybody knows and talks about George Clooney and all the time. Sure. Do you disagree? But you both voted. Do you Mike, disagree are you showing your whole ass right now? Yeah, dude. I might be showing. Yeah, get those buns out. Just smack them. So, out of sight, Jack Foley can go up there. Who am I Jack to Foley. fight against you guys? I am a motivational speaker. It's the, fir- it's the first and only movie where uh, we watched Jennifer Lopez fall in love with a fucking nerd, and we were like, yeah, okay, no, that that's right. We could get Jayla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and no, no love for the Three Kings. Oh, no, nope. I love Three Kings. Three Kings is dope. They're, be, they're stealing that gold, right, Ryan, if I'm not mistaken? <laughs> Those Three Kings be stealing your gold. It's uh, George Clooney, Ice Cube. Trump Mark, supporter, Ice Cube. Mark Wahlberg and Spike Jones. Those are the four kings. Trump supporter Mark Wahlberg. Is that true? That's probably true. But you no, know this, it's true. They both would have stopped 9-11. The guy who said he'd stop 9-11, only a Trump supporter would say that. This is nearly a perfect movie, but it's directed by David O. Russell, our host's least favorite director. But I'm all about iconic. I'm not going to put my thumb on the scale in that way. I think then, I, That's fine. I think his character from Three Kings should be on here then. For right now. Okay, so right now we have three... On Clunster's Mountain. What's what's Three Kings' name? Archie Gates. Archie Gates. And then should we should we give a minute or so to Batman, guys? He almost killed it. Nipples. He was a great Bruce Wayne, I think. I would like to see him get another shot as old Bruce Wayne. Ooh, and like in like the Dark Knight Returns or something. Old Bruce but Wayne. Like, he, he can't be what he used to be. He can't be growly. Like he's not like oh, I'm no. so angry. He'd, he'd be like, "Hey, I am also a billionaire, so life's kind of fun." Uh-huh. I don't think he has that. Like, there's been movies like, uh, uh, what's it called? Good night and good, good luck? luck. Where like he tries to be growly, and he just can't. He's still d- just Danny Ocean. He's still like, what if you? What yeah, if ask Batman? He knows how good. If your face looks like that, life is just good, yeah. no matter what situation you're in. What if? What if as Batman, you couldn't do the growly voice, so you had to find some other way to hide your voice, so you just did like really goofy voice. I'm the knight. <laughs> or watch out, it's Batman. Here I come. He tries to talk to the Batman family, and then Robin's like, "Were you practicing that? Oh, did you have, <laughs> did you have a lot of practice for that?" The Batman. Batman doesn't have family. Two thousand. I just have eighteen wardens. Yeah. Two side wardens. <laughs> 2000 to 2002, movie stars have fun too. Oh, brother, where art thou? The Perfect Storm, Spy Kids, Ocean's Eleven, Welcome to Collinwood, Solaris, and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Okay, so that last one he directed. And he, oh, it's, I guess it's a minor role. But the one, like the big one here is Oh, Brother, right? Yeah. Perfect He's a Storm. man of constant sorrow. Well, Ocean's Eleven. I'd say oh, yeah, it's a pretty Ocean. big one in there. It might be important to right now. Is Danny Ocean 10 other people in that movie. Oh, brother, where art thou? It's just him and his brother. But, like, what do you guys think George Clooney? Do you think Danny Yosin or do you think uh, Oswald brother? Come up, where art thou? It's Everett. Yeah, I think of Everett. I mean, that's a that's an off-quoted around here. And I think of his dumb face, like, getting out of the mud, just like... <sighs> Remember how dumb his face was? still looking handsome. 
I will take off anybody on this list to put Danny Ocean on. I really do think that that is the purest form of George Clooney. Like you made it like uh, how we made like a uh, like what do you call it? Like cold coffee, cold drip, cold brew, just, cold brew, cold brew. It's just the perfect form of George Clooney. Do we it's still Danny have Ocean. dusk dusk dawn on there? Yeah, we do. Kick that, man. Get rid of that. Danny Ocean's gonna go and gonna sit in that seat. Get out of here. So should I do Danny on there as well? Yeah. Yeah. It's both. Because what, what's so great about Everett is even looking looking at his career, he's always played goofy, but his reputation and how he looks, I think mostly, is such that you always forget he can play goofy very well. And Everett shoved it down everybody's throat. Well, I think a lot of people have played goofy. I mean, not one person can ski down a hill Porsche. like that and go, <laughs> Ryan. All right. Ah. From 2003 to 2007, we're calling it I Do What I Want to Do. Spy Kids 3D Game Over. What is Intolerable Cruelty? Game uh, Over, man. Ocean's 12. He was not in Spy Kids 2, which is shocking. Ocean's 12, Good Night and Good Luck, Siriana, Ocean's 13, and Michael Clayton. Okay, so can we let's go through the first half real quick. Spy Kids 3D Game Over. He plays Devlin, as we all know. Of course. Intolerable Cruelty, Ocean's 12. So I think that Intolerable Cruelty is that's a Coen Brothers movie, yes? Yeah. I think so. And I think he's trying to like still play with stardom. But I think it's the mm-hmm. back half of this era that Mike has declared where we see him get like to do some actual stuff. Like he won an Oscar, yes? Or at least was nominated for Syriana. Mm-hmm. At least nominated. And then what else came? Good night and good luck, which he was mostly directing, but also in Oceans Thirteen and Michael Clayton. And yeah, Michael Clayton is a movie that I think is like five star all timer. Really? And like such a good play on like I think it's a great movie. And then also at the same time a good play on the whole George Clooney-ness of the world. I uh, I don't know what it is. It's just about a dude named Michael Clayton. I, I couldn't tell you. I vaguely remember it. It's about like a whistleblower, right? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean It's I one of these movies that is very unsexy when you're watching a trailer and then extremely compelling when you're actually watching the movie itself. It really is spectacular. Uh, I do think that because he he does such a good job of like uh, being himself and then also satirizing himself, which he, I think he tries to do in Ocean's Eleven, but really never comes off. He just he's just himself. Is himself, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would like to move Michael Clayton onto the list. Siriana was like, oh, I'm gonna gain weight and get uh, get an Oscar nomination straight up. Like that's all. I it gain was. weight all the time. I've never gotten the nom for it, but like oh, that's bullshit, dude. I'm still telling the Oscars. Yeah, dude, this is for a role. Hey, it's Oscar. a lot of roles, actually. <laughs> okay. Yay. So right now, your Danny... No, what's his name? George Clooney, Mount Rushmore currently is, Ryan? Well, we have five right now, so we're going to have to rectify. But uh, your five right now is Jack Foley. The Rick Foley. Moranis spot. Yeah, Jack Foley <laughs> is from Out of Sight. Archie Gates is from Three Kings. Three Kings. Danny Ocean is from Ocean's 12 and 13. Everett is from Oh Brother Where Art Thou and Michael Clayton is from Up in the Air. Up in the I'm, Air. I'm going to say we all can vote who we need to boo. I'm saying out of sight. Get out of sight. What the? F- Greg? I I think that's a maybe like you were at a time in your life, Mike, where that was not a big movie for you, but that seems like a really big movie. I would lose Michael. But see, I would lose Michael Clayton, Ryan. So who would you lose? Because I've never even seen Michael Clayton, so I got to be true to to myself here. I 
I have to be untrue to myself as much as I love Three Kings. I think I have to lose Archie Gates. Okay. I think that's that a what, good one, actually. Yeah. What Archie Gates brings, we have in these four other roles. I think right. the name Let's Archie Gates Archie. is amazing. I think that uh, Everett, or like, I think that the weakest movie is honestly Oh Brother, as much as I love the Coen Brothers. But yeah. uh, that the role is more is, iconic, though. Yeah, like that, like showing his fucking goofy eyed cartoon side was very important. Okay, we will return later in the show to finish George Clooney's career retrospective. Before that, more Ocean's Eleven. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Taste Buds, in making Tess the real ultimate score, is Soderbergh <laughs> getting caught up in Hollywood's obsession with suave, self-obsessed masculinity, or is he commenting on it? I think, I think... as much as I love this movie... <laughs> I think that he is definitely getting caught up, but I I do have to say that like this was the, watching it this week, a couple of times was the time where it offended me the least, because I really do think that he's trying to make a timeless commentary on Hollywood movies, and this is just how movies work, and so I think that he is probably showing his whole ass, <laughs> every, every single inch of it. Ryan, but cheeks baking in the sun. He's saying, look. Guys, the movies that, that that raise me, like the that uh, how old Hollywood used to work is, girls they run for that they run for the Clooney's and they run away from the Garcias. I have that's, to say, I mean, I get what you're saying, but that's also fucking horseshit to be making a movie in modern times and having that be your excuse. It's not modern times; it's 20 years ago, and I think that's a significant amount of time. It's a very, it's very clearly like uh, that the bad guy wants to possess her but doesn't appreciate her and the good guy is going to appreciate her. I think, I think the saving grace while possessing her. Yeah. But also he's going to also possess her because she is, yeah, the score. But I, I think that, um, ultimately what saves it probably is fucking Julia Roberts comes in and just delivers a really three dimensional grounded, realistic performance in this absolute man cave of a movie. She stands there and does actually deliver. And I think saves the thing from going right off the cliff, but I don't know by how much there's a, there's a couple of scenes that we should get to, but the scene that I don't think gets enough attention is her walk out of the casino. Like, in a in a movie that has really carefully planned uh, plot points, you know, where like it's revealing exactly what it wants to at all times. The one where uh, they're like, "Hey, Julia, turn the TV on right now, because your boyfriend's about to fucking be a real dick bag right in front of you." <laughs> 
that's one of the weaker ones. But yeah. I think that Julia Roberts, this person who we think of as mostly a star and not an actress, even though one year before this, she won an Academy Award for Best Actress in a Steven Soderbergh movie. Hello. Yep. Uh, walks, Rock Rock walks out of the casino and with her face really tries to sell this entire arc that she is going through. She shows her whole face. She, I think those are entire face. <laughs> her to Garcia, that the first half of that scene works perfect. I think I think she she elevates the four scenes she's allowed to be in. Yeah, I think she really <laughs> elevates that role in a way other people wouldn't. And even saying, "Yeah, fuck you, Benedict." But and then going back to Danny for no reason other than here's the part of the movie where I would go back to Danny, but he didn't show he's different. He didn't actually change. Uh, feels like. The hackiest hack that's ever had. The world is designed to have him win. I mean, he is like literally the world of this movie is designed for him to achieve what he wants. So that's like, I think supposed to be the only thing that. But it's supposed to glom on to people like that or us and say like, no, the people who are winning are the Andy Garcia's. I bet you can get them. And then it drops. People who own things, but don't appreciate them. Right. And so it's like, it's little things like Danny Ocean always wearing the ring and then Tess noticing that Danny is wearing the ring still. It's uh, Danny knowing more about art. Not a lot of more about art, but a little bit more about art than uh, Benedict does, who's just like, I like it because you like it. Like the guy... Because it makes you happy? The guy only thinks in brown, right? Like the, everything, every food he yeah. eats, every like art he looks at, he's like, ah, this is art. This is food. I'm eating food. I'm swallowing food. Here's how food. wealthy this makes me look to and That's have. just like, that's not for Tess. But Danny's not better for Tess. Like, he never actually apologized for lying. He had a very clever, great line of, I only lied about being a thief. Great movie line. But I don't think that their relationship towards the end is earned. It's just like, Tess needs a dude no matter what. And it's got to be one of these two shitty rich dudes. And like, and it needs to be more excited, right? Like, that's the thing is that like, uh, uh, for ghost ability for being excited what's fucked up though is like why in the why can't she be one of the oceans 11 like julia roberts is a great actress it's a it's a cool enough character but just even the fact that she is like apart from all of that and is like part of the score and not part of the crew like says everything there's 11 dudes and one woman (laughs) Like, hardly gets to say anything in the movie the entire time. Well, she's one of the Ocean's 12, for whatever that does for you. And that she only had two weeks to film this movie. So maybe that changed things. But yeah, I mean, the guys in the movie call her the prize. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. they literally. Yeah. Matt Damon says, This is the best part of my day before uh, he knows Danny's involved with her. Right. And it's, it's funny because Julie Roberts obviously is beautiful, but for like, he's surrounded in Vegas for like, she looks fine. But for him to be like, it's this right here. It's like Linus, come on, man. Okay, Julia so- Roberts look according according to your stance on this is Julia Roberts quote looks fine. Now I don't know yeah. who's worse, Ocean's Eleven or Mike the podcast host. <laughs> just being like, I'm just saying Linus needs more world experience. Sure, um, but yeah, I think that we're supposed to take a uh, let's get to the main point, right? The reason that we're supposed to buy the walk outside of the casino is because of that one conversation in the diner, or that it's not a diner, it's a. There, it's a you fine call, restaurant. I, what I find so cute, no matter whether yeah. it's like <laughs> a Denny's or like a Morton's, this is a, a Michelin star diner. <laughs> it's a it's a four dollar sign diner. But I will say, there is no movie, and we have watched Spirit Away. We have watched Mulholland Drive. We're gonna watch Donnie Darko. 
the single greatest movie that a percentage of the population <laughs> in America ha- has ever seen. Uh, there is no better written scene than Danny and Tess at that table. And that is supposed to do so much of the selling. And I don't know if it, it if it sells Tess's... It does, it does achieve that. It does do a I, lot. I, I don't I know think if it, it sells, sells their history and why they broke up. Yeah, exactly. It does all like there's no back, there's no flashbacks necessary, right? We get it all. No, but but the, I don't know if it, if it achieves like Tess's like uh, face change uh, with her walk out of the casino and be, and she's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm with Danny. I'm with Danny. I don't care that he's getting arrested. But right then, right now, we're watching the most movie ass movie we have ever watched. Like this is a perfect scene. Yeah, it's it has a line that should be the you had me at hello. Who's coming like dumb bullshit, but because it's these he two never selling made me it. Cry. The, yeah, does yeah. he make you laugh? He never made me cry. So Hollywood and cheesy, but perfect here. I, I have no problem with that. I just think for a zip zap zop this movie is, they could have had a slowdown. Danny actually thinks about being a human being Which, for two minute scene. Out of sight has the scene, but does do the slowdown that you're talking about. Unfortunately, you don't watch movies, Mike. So there was, and I, I will, I will say, there is the space inside this film to do it. the The movie is nearly two yes. hours long, and it does it makes some interesting choices on the back end about how it spends its time. I think there's enough time in there to like have more reflecting and more development of of like his understanding of what his relationship to Tess means. Is do, because like so many directors get pinged on certain things, like Tim Burton doesn't like people of color because it's not part of his quote-unquote super baby white aesthetic. Uh, does Soderbergh often have a problem with women? Or do you think that goes away? Or maybe it's just this movie? As far as I know, all of the movies that I've watched, he has so many female leading characters. Yeah, I mean, and, if, if this is just on the heels of Aaron Brockovich, like, that's a that's a pretty good female character, right? And, and this well, will give true. way to Haywire and side effects. And I think Magic yeah, Mike dope. is basically a female-led uh, movie. Like... As much as there's like naked dudes dancing around, uh, no, I think this is a is a one off for sure. Um, I want to go to the other part though, Mike. The is this commenting on masculinity? Mm-hmm. Is this like making us feel good or bad about it? And I do ultimately think that this is where we want to be. If we're like a super loser watching this movie in our basement, this is where we want to be, and then unfortunately we will do bad things because of it you know like we want all of the things to land like it does for the people in this movie but Mm. it won't and it like the movie makes it look so cool that we want it so bad and you don't really see the work they put in so it's like i just wish i was that cool and masculine but they are working their asses off at least rusty and danny and i'd say linus but like they recreated the entire fucking (laughs) right if but if you're that basement dweller who's like I'm gonna be like that at tops you're gonna be one of the fucking brothers who just are there their skill set is but, to be as annoying as possible. See, there is this, but there is this force that exists in the universe of this movie, and here's what I think makes me feel uncomfortable about it. There's there's a force that protects everything they do, even though they engage in a lot of risky behavior, and it feels like within the movie that's standing in for like white privilege, which really does kind of act as a force that keeps like white men from ever having to deal with the repercussions of their actions. There's so many times where things just kind of work out for them. And the movie requires that for it to be cool and fun because there's mm-hmm. several times where someone should just fucking die because in real life, that's what would probably happen as a like side effect of these actions. 
Or so I mean, just, like it, it's a lot. It could be a lot smaller than that. Like I thought that Bruiser was going to come in and beat the shit out of me, quote unquote. But instead, they found a different thug to come in and beat the shit out of me. And now <laughs> right. the whole thing is off. Yeah. And that's sort of how white men, white straight white males, think that their lives should go. But I don't want to put that on Soderbergh. Like Soderbergh was like, I want to put up uh, two hours of cotton candy for you, and I hope yeah. that the straight white males who do happen to watch this aren't like, this isn't my life and I'm angry and I'm going to buy a gun. Right. And I would say, like, for this, I was at 2000, it is a pretty diverse movie for 2001 where everything else is white on white on white on white. <laughs> this has three characters of color. It features a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I saw a gay person in the background of one of the scenes. Yeah, I mean, it's as inclusive as Star Wars is. It's a blink and you miss it. <laughs> is that the bar? Well, after the no, movie the came out, the bar is so much higher than that. After the movie came out, Soderbergh announced that Danny Ocean is bi. It's not covered in the movie, but it, it, yeah. it's, he wanted everyone. I to think know that you can true. tell by the way him and Rusty look at each other. Yeah, sometimes. the three of them, the two of them, and Tess for sure. <laughs> I also read that uh, Elliot Gould was gay. Did you guys see I that? I don't know. Did you, did you guys hear in this? <laughs> People are saying, everybody's saying. I, I His character, was that. there anything gay about that guy? I don't think there's any homosexuality in the movie. As opposed, like, besides the obvious homosexuality between the entire team. Like, I, I had read that Elliot Gould was clearly out, but I did not see that. No, I didn't pick up on that. He just he seems had, like I an guess, old rich dude. A sort of languid fabulousness. But yeah, I just, it felt, it felt coded more as like, decadent rich person than yeah luxurious maybe you know there could be ryan um like they could have used old school like coding because hollywood had mm-hmm. coding from like, like back when the original oceans 11 came out this is how they would right. say this is a yeah because uh, i mean it can be permanent really bachelor bachelor yeah it can be really simple stuff but if you know the language of it then it's really obvious so maybe it's that well we'll never know <laughs> Well, let's <laughs> take a quick very, break very and get back funny. to George Clooney's career. Or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. All right, taste buds. We're back here at George Clooney's career retrospective. Can I say right now, I'm going to put five bucks on the line. I will Venmo okay. each of you five dollars. Five bucks are on Ryan's line. We don't get to find out why yet. 2008 to <laughs> Oh, did you have more? I don't think. I think I think we might be done. I don't think that he can achieve these like Clooney yeah. perfecting heights that he did in this first half. I, I tend to agree with that. I think we might be through a lot of the heavy hitters. Well... We'll see when we talk from 2008 to 2009, an era I'm calling Clune's Still Fun. <laughs> he did Leatherheads, Burn After Reading, Up in the Air, The Men Who Stare at Goats, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. All right. Uh, Up in the Air, I think, is a great, great movie. I love Up in the Air. But I think that's mostly Anna Kendrick's show. Yes. And I think that this is Clooney doing a couple of tunes that we've already seen before, if you look at the Rushmore. George Tooney. 
George is he just doing a couple of George Toonies that we've it's already the, seen? For me, it's the iconic factor. It's not the quality of the roles. It's that they just maybe up in the air, but I don't know. I don't feel like any it's of these are as the iconic like, as. And yeah, I'm gonna fucking say this shit. When we watch later Bogart, we're not like ooh. We're just like oh Casablanca, oh Maltese Falcon, oh uh, tre- right. Treasure of Sierra Madre. I think that's where we're at right now. And is that have to do with if you're around long enough? People only know you from your early stuff, or you're not pushing and trying. I mean, yeah, I, I, far be it for me to like insult the clones, but yeah, like up in the air was there's no IP, like it's not based on a comic book. Uh-huh. He just sold it on himself, and so if you're gonna do that, you just have to be George Clooney, and you have to rely on a new face to do all the good, like the heavy lifting, and he did. Yeah, it was. It, it's a good like torch passing movie, even if in reality he did not pass the Clooney type rules to Anna Kendrick. And do you remember that scene <laughs> where he, like he had a bunch of cups in front of him and he turned them over and he was like, "Oh, I, you should put cups together. You should stack cups oh, in a musical a way, song. yeah, oh, to yeah. make a little song." He's going the long way down. What was the last movie, Mike? Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, I do love that movie, but that is a fun movie. That's not George Clooney's movie. Yeah, like it's the Fox's movie. Well, it's it's like. His is like a voice that you're like, oh, hey, is that George Clooney? Yeah. <laughs> That's as he's much as you like think about cent- it. Yeah, he's not the all centerpiece right. of the whole thing. I do want you guys to to have, remember all the errors we've done and how, so, like this one was just two years. Uh, so how many things are fit into a small amount of time? This next and final era is 2010 to 2020. And it's an era we're calling I fucking love Nespresso. Yeah, dude. Because it's yeah. hard to pick out or a real movies. With the amount of Nespresso shorts this dude has made. He's crazy. Before, we have to say, though, that he does it so that he can sponsor a satellite that keeps its eye on what's going on in the Sudan. Or yeah. in Sudan. So <laughs> that's the most bonkers like story of all time. Which means he's Superman and Batman. And yeah, probably dude. Green yeah. Lantern all at the same time. He's, he's got a, a cool, satellite up there. Cool dude. Just so you know, Mike, so, before you go through this last realm, we have Out of Sight, we have Ocean's Eleven, we have Oh Brother, and we have Michael Clayton. For okay, as far as George see. Clooney is concerned, nothing's out of sight anymore because of the power of Nespresso. <laughs> That's a good one, Greg. And nor is anything out of Michael Clayton. That's all. That's that's one. That's also right. one. <laughs> 2010 to 2020, we have The American, The Ides of March, The Monuments Men, Gravity, Tomorrowland, Hail Caesar, and Money Monster. Wow. Okay. So this is a whole lot of cashing in on the name George Clooney. Yeah. Especially Gravity. The one I like, though, is Gravity because he comes in, he's on a little chair, he's like, yo, what up? I'm George Clooney. And then he bounces. And I like that. (laughs) And then Ides of March is actually a good movie because he really is playing off the George Clooney lore that he has created which apparently that's what i'm into he's like if you see me jerking off to a child you you disregard it because i'm goddamn george clooney like there's that whole thing of like he's so suave that he can just talk you into anything i gotta say if i if i see him doing what you described i'm gonna say something because yeah i'm not gonna be part of this liberal cabal anymore that feels like a definite see something say something yeah that situation you, that's even if it's even if it's george clooney i think you gotta say something but whatever ryan you can but you continue your silence yeah, by, all, you, by all means yeah, don't fine. yeah i'm just glad let this man use his satellite to do terrible deviant things i'm glad this is the first time that mike didn't say the words spy kids that was nice <laughs> It's I didn't I don't remember him from the Spy Kids franchise, but he's in several of them. Which kid is he? The little boy? 
<laughs> yeah, he's Devlin, <laughs> the little boy. <laughs> and that's when I think you know he can really stretch as an actor. His name is Espresso yeah. Limoncello, and he will fuck the bad guys up. I think the other thing, too, is that... Um, he is capitalizing on his fame, not just like in a like a let's play it away, but also in like a I don't care anymore. Yeah, what is That's money fu- like? What let, let's let's get me a lot of money because um he like he 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 cleared this bar right. He has proven that he is capable of this. Move on. Gravity is a really dope movie, but his part in it is basically what if jo- the actual George Clooney was an astronaut. And he just hangs out and is George Clooney. In a, yeah, like you said, right? That he just floats away. Which, and you think he comes back for a second, but it's not really him. Yeah, if you talk to anybody about Sandra Bullock's age, they're like, no. Multiple times, I've imagined George Clooney in a floating chair coming towards me as if he was Modoc and uh, <laughs> uh, talking to me. And then he disappears. He talks me through my troubles. And the Monuments Men, somebody basically said, probably Tom Hanks. What if Ocean's Eleven? Happened in World War Two. The Monuments Man should have been a fucking hit. Like it was Ocean's yeah. Eleven. It was an all star cast, right? Like Bill Murray was there, and mm. it's all these guys going to steal paintings. And apparently, it was terrible. It should be Saving Private Private Ryan meets Ocean's Eleven. That's the pitch, but nobody wrote it to that level of quality. <laughs> <laughs> they never got past the pitch. So yeah, we have it. Uh, what is your? You said it. I think not two minutes ago. Ryan. We're the what monument is, men now, dog. Mike, do you oh, know of the all. future? Like, do you know what like his plans are? Do you know of the future, Mike? I know. Mike, I've do you heard know of the future. Tell of the future. <laughs> it's, he has cra- one movie in it's the can. Crazy, I have to say this, but I'm talking about George Clooney's future projects, <laughs> not actually I, predicting the future oh. of the country. Okay, that's yeah, different. I, I, I know he has a film in the can. Can I just? I, I want to do one segment without a bunch of fucking silly billies. And apparently that's I, not going to happen. I, I've answered your question several times now. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Uh, I know he has a film in the can. In his butt? That's in... Okay. Read out the fucking... Your Mount George, Rushmore, George Clooney, Clooney, Mount Rushmore is Jack Foley from Out of Sight, Danny Ocean from the Oceans Trilogy, Everett from Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and Michael Clayton from Michael Clayton. Guys, I think that this is inarguable. Yeah, we did it. That's perfect. Good job, us. Another great podcast. If you podcast. have a problem with it, let us know. Interact with us, Chuds. <laughs> I dare you to. We would. What's your goddamn George Clooney Mount Rushmore? We would totally be fine if you emailed us and not freak out at all. <laughs> we'll be real cool about it. All right, that is George Clooney's career. When we come back, one final segment talking about Ocean's Eleven. Taste buds. With Damon's character being the son of an old accomplice referenced numerous times, the film itself being a remake, and the feel of one last score for so many of these characters. What does the movie have to say about legacy? The movie does treat its older people, which would be uh, Carl Reiner, and a little bit Elliot Gould in a different way. And then, even though Matt Damon looks exactly as old as every other person in the movie, uh, I guess except for the, the Mormon twins, um... I think that they're sort of thinking that Matt Damon is going to become Danny Ocean at some point, which is something that I never noticed until recently of like Matt Damon really does have the grow up arc throughout the course of this movie. This is like, this is sort of like his yeah, he's so nervous baby and- to adolescent to teenager to adult. By the time they're outside that vault, he's like so much like a cool, calm, 
collected member of the team versus how nervous and like awkward he the, was at first. There's well, no reason Linus. You're not going to go through life swallow with the name <laughs> Linus. Linus. There's no reason to have them go to get that pinch from San Bernardino or whatever it is. Like there's no reason like just don't have that in the script. Just have the first pinch work. But the reason that pinch exists is because it shows him in at the kid table, right? With the Mormon mm-hmm. twins. And being like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Uh-huh. And I, I agree. I, I feel like that if I had to listen to Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck talk for a while, that it would be terrible. And then he decides to get out, and then he gets screamed at. He gets yelled at by the adults. And this is all just part of like the, the puberty phase of Linus's arc throughout the movie. Well, yeah, because there's, there's, everybody has a responsibility. He kind of didn't need to come on this road trip at all, yeah. except maybe he just drives sometimes. He gets uh, the gymnast hurt. Like he fucks a lot of stuff but up there. Isn't there? Uh, isn't there also a third score in this movie? There's the money score. There's Tess as the score. But talking about legacy, isn't that the third score? There's no good story about a Vegas heist before this. It's all smash and grabs. People gunned mm-hmm. down outside the casino. This was like a move to do something that was like a work of art in the the heist world, and it was like supposed to leave that sort of like imprint on that the, and they the, sort of say it in that way of like call like we have a caldwell you know bobby caldwell uh-huh. he's too old well it's it's you know from the minute you meet him that he's somebody special because the get the band together is very like bing bang boom it's fast it's fast and fast and then the camera and the music slows down we're gonna change the and we're frame not rate of anymore. the camera yeah and it's like this weird, like, look at this guy. Like, they are so, it feels like in a world. this was his first movie. Introducing Matt yeah. Damon. Like, but he'd been around for years. Uh, but the movie definitely has that vibe. And and I don't know how, help. like, I don't know how, like, cool Matt Damon's ever been. You know, like, this is basically the Matt Damon that we've seen in every other movie. But he's definitely not George Clooney, Brad Pitt cool. And that's why I guess it's good casting, because he's just always the nerd. You know, like, Matt Damon is sort yeah. of always the Linus in whatever room he's in. <laughs> And so he's just in the back of the room saying like, what, uh, what, what, no. That, I, I think, think that helps. I think the character is important because it establishes that this is not just a group of guys, that it is a family, that he has mm-hmm. a legacy that he gets, that their, like, their crime kind of is something that gets handed down from generation to generation. And it's always good to have the one character who is new to it because the audience is also new to it. And then you see the world through those eyes and you get sort of then as he is brought into that family, the audience is brought into that family as well. And it's our caring about these heisters that really makes the thing work. And I think that like with generation things like this, we're supposed to think like, Oh, the next generation is fucked because there's no way that Linus Caldwell can take over. But by the end of the movie, when George Clooney is like, well, I trust you now. That means that maybe oceans 14 should be Caldwell's 14 and he can be in charge, you know, and he can bring like now he's going to bring up his new group of things and it's okay for he still has the idiot brothers. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Cause they will never age, but Clooney and Brad Pitt can go fucking away. Well, they can be Saul and Elliot Gould. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you spend the whole movie just waiting for Carl Reiner to just fucking die and make everything not work. Which, and then it seems like he does, but actually he saves the day. Hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out, our seniors will have done the same thing. I is, know that is that cheap. I know that we're supposed you know to think that, uh, like, he's about to die, and that's sort of part of the story, right? Because like he passes out, but that like that's part of the that the heist and whatnot. Uh-huh. 
But given all of that, that it was all fakery, I do not drop him down the tunnel to steal the money at the end of the movie. No. At some Why point, he, he lifts his looks helmet. Like he's about to have a real yeah, heart no, That was for real. He lifts his mask up, and that's fucking actual Carl Reiner that they dropped down the dude. <laughs> the rest were stuntmen, but Carl, they're like, nope, send Carl down. Brad but yeah, he also Carl had the, the, the moment in the hotel room where Rusty goes in there. And he's looking like, yeah. and that's what the, the lead up to make the viewers. But I know this movie is all about cons. And so it's like, but we're really conning the audience. But just re- not showing us parts of the plan. I wasn't like, oh, you clever bastards. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was part of the plan too. I th- yeah, I think that maybe this is part of the, like, the last segment when we were talking about masculinity. But I think this is a big part of it is that Carl Reiner r- refuses. Like Carl Reiner, George Clooney, when Carl Reiner is getting dressed to be Zerga, like the mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, he's like, are you sure that you're okay with this? And he's like, if you ever ask me that again, it will be the last question you ever yeah. ask. Yeah. But he's not face. okay with it. And yeah. that's like that's the thing that the movie is saying about masculinity, but never has the time for, is that we will throw all of these people to their deaths as long as they don't think we're slightly a wuss. But wouldn't that point be made better if it wasn't part of the plan for him to have a heart attack yeah it's just not on the movie's mind the mo- i think the movie, the movie like does really does whatever it can to not have anything on its mind yeah yeah mm. like exactly yeah like they they specifically don't want to do that because this type of behavior should result in like three or four of these people dying and all of them getting into huge trouble but that would at the least but that would at like at least and obviously there's not a single person who doesn't think that that would ruin this movie if that happened but that's the uh-huh. that's the that's the force that pr- pushes against every part of this movie is just they are so obviously being protected by basically Steven Soderbergh who's standing there like swatting away God. any potential con- <laughs> like anything that could potentially get his characters. He's like, no, get out of here. But the way that it works around it is that there's no Mike. I'm going to speak to you specifically because you're in charge of points. There's I'll just no thank you. There's no Wolverine <laughs> and Colossus fighting together or separately. There's only fastball specials. And that's how the legacy works, is that you work together, you you pick up Wolverine if you're a Colossus, you God throw it man. right at the problem. Right. And then you once you age out of that, you teach somebody else how to do one of your parts. And I think that's why there's so many generations in this movie. Like not just Linus and Carl, Carl Reiner, but like maybe the Mormon brothers could move up to be the 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 Linus and the Rusty at I, I, no. I would not recommend that. But I definitely think they'll that- probably be tops. They'll be the uh, Stacy Boss and Basher. They're certainly not Rusty. The Stacy Boss. So this is an I Zombie reference in the middle of the Ocean's Eleven talk. I can't remember his character's name because he's just the computer. guy. I love it. But yeah, no, there, there's you. No one does anything without the help of anybody else, and I think that's ultimately as lame as it sounds. The point of the movie. <laughs> Are you saying it's about? Oh, it's boy. about all... So maybe another beloved... I think this is the first and only franchise about family. And heists. This is the only heist family franchise. Oh. Speed round. Shit. It's time for speed round. Is, is this movie a- actually cool or does it just act like it is? I feel like at the beginning of the movie, before it has earned its coolness... It assumes that it has done it. It definitely picks it up halfway through, but there's a lot of early scenes in this movie where they're like, "You're just so lucky to be watching this." I, I think I, I think it assumes it before it earns it. I think that the movie is actually cool and still is cool to this day because it hangs back. It's behind the beat, you know. Like so many things that try to be cool 
are ahead of the beat in the the soundtrack. They're like, oh, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there first. And this one just lays back. And I do, I do think this is because of the clones. Like he just has this natural layback thing. But because it's always behind the beat, it's always a little slower than you would think or want. I think it actually is cool. And I think what I think that's slower, all Soderbergh just doing. To clarify, just like and what is an extra minute in this scene, an extra second on this shot, just like a little, like a little, an, an, an extra beat before the joke gets the punchline. I think that keeps it cool instead of trying so hard. I think that the actors in the beginning, the poker game, which I wanted to talk about way more. Oh my but gosh, the, the, we'll get what there. a painful act, scene. The actors in the poker game, they're like, we are cool and we're trying, and that's. Like that scene is in there in part to show like eh, that's actually not cool. The like going slower is cool. Can one overuse montages and voiceover? Not according to this movie. No, this movie, like I think Soderbergh is the absolute master. I think that once you have, I think there's a way to look at those right. devices as kind of movie cheats in a little bit of a way. Once you have decided to use them, I don't think you can use them too much. You're the type of movie that has montage so go for it you're the type of movie that has voiceover go for it like hey everyone we're doing this yeah absolutely there's one scene that uh where uh instead of montaging they just spin the camera as fast as they can (laughs) so it's like uh i think it's matt damon and andy garcia walking in and then they just spin the camera and now it's uh george clooney gambling and then they spin the camera and it's uh julia roberts walking into the casino that's essentially a montage right like yeah who, who gives yeah. a shit? We're just going to show what we want, and we don't give a shit. Well, that that's the genius of, of the, the montages in this film. It's not like it's the same kind of montage over and over yeah. again. It is the, the recruiting, getting the band back together is different than building and practicing the heist is different than that part. Like, And, and sometimes it's, you don't know it. Like Sometimes it's very stylistic. Like The entire screen mm-hmm. will wipe away, and you know that you're watching a movie, and you're watching a montage. And sometimes it really dissolves into like... A natural thing where like oh this doesn't count as a montage but then at the end of the right. movie you're like oh fuck that was 16 that was or montage. 17 montages <laughs> how much how well does the much vaunted dialogue hold up 20 years later i do think when it's very conversational when it's just two people going back and forth like the like the one i would think of that is matt damon and george clooners outside the vault and they're chatting about like yeah you gotta have an extra battery and you know you always gotta be prepared for stuff like this <laughs> well you don't hear yen complaining like those moments i think are are very well scripted yeah see i would say the opposite i th- i think that julia roberts and george clooney at the dinner table at the diner table is perfect because it's so <laughs> scripted but stuff that i used to get off on but i don't anymore is george clooney being like because the because the house always wins, and when you have a chance at the house, and then Brad Pitt interrupting and being like, "Did you work on that? Did you practice?" That? Yeah, that 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 sucks. all it, mm. that feels fake. It's when they actually feel like old school nineteen forties Hollywood movies, like uh, I would say Julie Roberts and George Clooney at the dinner table, and then also uh, Matt Damon and Brad Pitt, where Brad Pitt is trying to train Matt Damon on how to like not lie, like how to be an actor, uh-huh. and that that quick back and forth. I I think that when it feels scripted. It doesn't. And when it feels unscripted, it does. Uh, define an Ella Fitzgerald versus a Bing Bong Boom. Ryan. I, I would say that I would just want to get the uh, the Ella Fitz out of the room is, I think, the main thing. 
I think the 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 big bang booms like you know is kind of just like a temporary excitement, but the Ella Fitzgerald sort of like a bigger, longer lasting, deeper excitement. He's not the titular character, nor is he Brad Pitt. But is this Matt Damon's movie? I do think so. I do think that he's got the arc. Yeah, I mean, it's he's he's the new kid on the block. He's the one the audience right. gets connected to. He's the one who gets walked through right. all this all the stages of it, and you watch him be endearing in a in a in a growth way, like over a, a series of personality types, rather than just be, you know fixed. And I think, like, based on what I've read about the movie, I think it was really hard to focus on anybody else in the movie. Like, George and Brad were just like, hey, let's pull pranks on each other. Like, let's, let's just give each other wedgies all the time. I have heard and that if I, you, literally if you're holding a camera around either one of those guys, it's physically hard to not point it at them. But I think that Damon was like, I'll, I'll hang out. I guess you can film me going through things. And that's, that's how the movie <laughs> works out. <laughs> like my purse. Is the celebrity poker game the most important part of the movie? Oh, my God. Like, I think it does set up a reality. Like, this poker scene is so over-the-top awful that I think you then know what kind of world you're in. If they have to go that far to depict stupid Hollywood celebrities that one of them is standing up and saying, I have all reds. Like you can't exist in this world knowing that little about poker. And so you, the movie frames like, okay guys, you are far away from reality. Don't worry. Like you're going to be protected. (laughs) This is how cartoonishly dumb we can pretend celebrities are. There's a certain way that I started to look at this scene this week. And I, I don't think this is vindictive or awful. I just think this is the way it works. I think that at some point Soderbergh was a little nervous about him not getting enough credit for Ocean's Eleven and that it's just going to be the star-studded affair. <laughs> and that's why it's here where a fucking where he sits down around all these actors and they all act like dumb shit for the entire time and he just sits there and tries to teach them about how movies work. I, I really think that this is... A it's like you say, people, you know that they are basically just animals, right? Yeah. Like, they are... <laughs> they, they, they comprehend so little of the world. There is not that much difference between Holly Marie Combs and Don Cheadle, first of all. And although you're going to give them all the credit for being, like, attractive and stuff, this is me doing this. Like, <laughs> I'm going to sit here at this table, and I'm going to run this, and I'm going to fucking... I'm going to put... Right. I'm going to put a glass full of ice to my head every time they make <laughs> me upset. But this is... I Like, come on. Look at these people. I love this reality where three men walk out of nightclub. It's George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Topher Grace. And Topher yeah. Grace is the one fucking mobbed. <laughs> Even if they're not famous, he would not be mobbed by them. What are the brothers' skill set other than being annoying? uh, They're cars. They're vehicles. That's so important for a crew. You got to have vehicles, man. They're they're also... It's very important like that Brad Pitt has to wear a wig when he's a doctor at the end because everyone's going to know his face. But those boys... They have had 17 different jobs in that casino (laughs) and no one can... They need to have like uh, forgetful faces. Did they invent the buddy pal chief friend jackass escalation? I think that's I think that this is the, the origin of that. And it's a great move to actually use them in the caper as extremely annoying, stupid assholes after establishing in the movie that they are among the stupidest, most annoying assholes you'd ever encounter. <laughs> really works because you watch them do it and you're like, Yeah, everyone would pay attention to that because these guys are pricks. There's a lot of improvisation between those two and I don't I don't like either of these actors and I don't want to hear that shit, but there's one that gets me. There's one that fucking gets me every time. Uh, 
Casey Affleck is walking away from Scotty Khan, as everybody calls him. <laughs> and uh, he's like, hey, Scotty Khan, you heard of this guy? Let it go of the balloons. And he's like, I don't have any more time to deal with you two circus animals. <laughs> and he made that up on the spot. And that fucking gets me every time. Uh, what exactly makes Terry Benedict a villain? Is it because he owns casinos or because he's dating Tess? It's, he, it's one line. It's one single line. Do you like this art? I like it because you like it. That's yeah. it. We're all out. We're all done after that. It's he's so fake. And it's it's everything he has. He just acquires to acquire it. Not right. because it means right. anything to him, or he knows. Like he doesn't even want to try to understand the art. You know, it it, it mm-hmm. just like he doesn't feel like engaging with it, and that's so wrong. What's with the weird black leather shirt things, Matt Damon yeah. and George Clooney are Is wearing? That, I think it's because they were going to do that wire work, and because in Mission Impossible, when he did it, he was wearing like a black top like that. But they never explain it. But that's clearly their like wire tops. It's weird. Uh, do they make this insanely complicated heist so no one could actually attempt it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Ryan, yes. Okay. <laughs> do you think there are any repercussions for just cutting powder a city like that? Yeah, like I was wondering about that. It's like what what actually would happen if a city just lost power? for 30 seconds because like there's a hospital there there's an airport right there right like there's like a, a, a very famous airport that's right on the strip it lost power for 30 seconds what happened then, it probably doesn't matter all the airplanes fell out of the sky they just crashed into the ground it, it was like y2k all over they again. all crashed into new york new york uh <laughs> <laughs> what i've heard is that uh they just put the camera in the right. same place and then they just filmed it at night and then filmed it in day and they just like, <laughs> Put the put the things right next to each other. There was actually no turning off of Vegas. Oh, okay. Well, that's different. That's different. Uh, that's different. Though. Does the success of Ocean's Eleven predict or conceive of the MCU? Uh, that's an interesting idea. But no, I <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I do think that there was a time where like we only accepted one type of movie, and this movie has the team building and the exact sense of humor, which is like not funny, but not not funny. It's sort of like when Brad Pitt is telling Matt Damon how to be, of like, be funny, but not funny enough that he'll remember you. Yeah. And that is sort of how the MCU works, is that I can sort of th- think of like, what if there was 11 movies before Ocean's Eleven came out? Like, this, this, this feels like the tone of like the perfect sort of blockbuster, where if we put like a shield and webs and iron armor in these people's hands, it does sort of make sense to me. Like, they I- all have this tone. That's a, a lot of movies, though. If you right. actually dress them up like the characters of the Avengers, I think would give you Avenger feels. Like even Hereditary. The outfits are. If it was Captain it, yeah. America and Tony Stark. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yeah, if like the Traveling Pants are like a shield and a and a, and a Thor's hammer. Does speaking of the Avengers, does Don Cheadle get enough credit for doing the best English accent of all time? This is in a movie like I like. We're gonna give an award soon of pound for pound best for performance, and it was hard for me. I only knew who was last. I only knew that Don Cheadle was absolutely <laughs> the worst. How about I do an Why English accent? No, that's okay. No, how about I do it? No, that's all right. You don't have to do that. Please don't. Please don't. Is there a grab bag? They all had to have some sort of character peccadillo, and he got that one. He was like, oh, fuck. He didn't. There's no way. Like, uh, listening, I listened to the actor's commentary of the movie, and it was so clear that all of the actors were just 
themselves as characters yeah. in the movie while they were talking about the movie. Like that was very clear. But Don Cheadle was like, "I bet I'm not Governor. I bet I could be a Ocean's Eleven member like this." <laughs> I G'day, read Mike. that he flew to London and hung out with a bunch of people like in the part of town he thought Basher should be from, and mimicked theirs. And his agent told him it was great. And so when he got made fun of after the movie came out, he fired. <laughs> and, like Don Cheadle is is the best actor in this movie by far, right? Like, I mean, like yeah. outside of this movie, like, yeah. chop for chop, yeah. Terrible. It was just a Terrible. really bad choice. It's the kind of choice that, as an actor, you think it's going to be cool, and but somebody, your agent or the director, has to be like, "Nah, let's not do it yeah, that way." You, you can't have only yes men. Yeah. Why do Ocean and Pitt trick everybody and say Danny's out of the heist? Fun. I think it. I think it's fun. I think they like the adrenaline, and I think that they like to have audiences have an extra like ten or twelve minutes into the movie. Everybody got to get heisted on different multiple levels. There have to be twists that even don't right. make sense, just right. because <laughs> twists delight us in a heist context, and so there have to be just like random ones. Because when the audience is doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is what, yeah, they don't care about that other stuff. Final speed round question: Julia Roberts or one hundred sixty million dollars? Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. It's so easy. That's Grand. that's Ryan. the easiest one. But I do have to say, if you're Julia Roberts and you see your man saying that, I think on some level you have to be like, one hundred sixty million dollars is yeah. a lot of money. I that's, mean, it is his whole career, and it's like, he, <laughs> like, yeah, like he would lose his job, he would lose everything. It's his job, and he's working in his capacity right then, like to to secure the money. Saying something to a crook isn't legally binding. Yeah. <laughs> but, but still, Julia Roberts. But still. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's awards season. Taste buds. Despite the talented Mr. Soderbergh, despite the star-studded cast, despite the work of Ted, screenwriter. Griffin. This was not. Huh? Griffin. Griffin. Hey. Sometimes when you have a bunch of notes in front of you, you can't have time to find Please the right do note. not stop me when I'm in the <laughs> middle of an intro. Uh, this movie was not nominated, or at least did not win, any Oscars. And I boo. refuse to look that up. That is Bill. I agree. But tonight... Not even Elliot about, Gould? Not even That's Elliot Gould. hard to believe. But, like, Variety could have been, like, Gould goes for gold. Baffa, baffa, baffa. That's a fucking great headline. That would have been great. So we'll be giving several out tonight, and you will also be getting awarded for your awards, starting with Best Fit, Greg. Okay, so funny. We were just talking about Elliot Gould. I looked at all the different fits, and the collars were too small, collars were too big. I couldn't find one that really said Greg. Not a good collar looked- in the whole movie. I looked at Ruben's robe from the scene where they first meet Ruben and he like uh, enumerates the different successful heists or like the most successful heists. It's got like a big green part, green sleeves. It's so big and it's kind of like florid and it looks so comfortable and it makes him look like a mogul or like a Don or really kind of like a, like an emperor. He almost looks like Ozymandias mm-hmm. or something. And it's just... Honestly, of all the outfits in the entire movie, it's the only one that I wish I could get my grubby paws on. This is my pick, and I'm going to talk to you about it right now. Um, the other thing, too, is that uh, he's talking about Caesar's Palace, and George Clooney grew up getting famous on the Caesar hairdo, but now uh-huh. Ruben has the Caesar hairdo. And it really Eating is. a Caesar salad. And I, I feel like that there was a time when uh, 
like before we were born, maybe where you could go to Vegas and you could just see these people everywhere, you know, and like mm-hmm. it doesn't just make Ruben funny to look at, but like it sort of dates him. And like there was this time where I was king, and yeah. right. now all of the other people in the movie feel like today's kings, modern kings, right? Like that's how we're supposed to dress. But Ruben is just like that. You are you are from the past, and we know it right away because of the robe and the the necklace. Like getting he lives in a pleasure in, palace in the chest hair, yeah. And they, he's the money man. Like that's all he's good for. Is he fronts the bill for their exorbitant things? They like he, he gives them millions of dollars to steal millions. of he's dollars. He's so manipulatable. Like all we yeah. want to do and is knows watch it. Danny and Rusty like manipulate people, and he's like, "Wait, what do you mean, Terry Benedict? Get over here and talk to me again." <laughs> Uh, that is the clear winner. I think a close second is Saul's fisherman hat, Hawaiian shirt with a khaki jacket, khaki pants. But uh, you guys got the clear one. Yeah. There. Coolest moment, Ryan. Well, Mike, I'm a little bit older than when I first saw this movie. Um, I know this movie is super cool from start to finish. But what I think of cool, it may be different than when I first saw it. Now what I think of as cool is... The Bellagio Fountain. I the the moment where ten of the eleven are all there, and they all leave at different times. Uh, the direction from Soderbergh was to just leave when you think it's appropriate for your character, and so they all go away in a random order. They're all standing in a random order, and they all leave in a, a random order. And the music, and the background, and the like, the feeling of victory that we get from that, I actually kind of do think is the coolest moment of the movie. It's it's pretty cool. It's very like it shows that even though we didn't see it, they're all connected. That random standing in random order kind of showed that. Uh, also, why not all go together? Did you already split it? Like it's very confusing. Like it's not like oh, you're standing like a hundred feet away you're standing from the, like, the scene together. of the crime all together as <laughs> but, a group. <laughs> and it, there is something like sad because Saul is the last one. Right? Saul is the last one. Yeah. And there's something sad because it's definitely this dude's last heist for sure. Is, and is. there's something like bittersweet in his face, like, oh man, I, I did it. And Maybe his last night ever. It. So <laughs> yeah, he probably like at the end of the scene, he just turns to dust. Carl Reiner did that yeah. as, an, as an improv. But I think the other thing, they, the other thing too that it says about the movie is that like Vegas is gaudy. Like uh, that Bellagio fountain is not in of itself pretty. Like it's just yeah. a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> But if you add a little bit to it, then you can have it. You know, I think that's what they saw about Vegas is that, like, if we put a little bit of effort into it, we can have them looking at these fireworks, these water fireworks, and then walk away at different times. And then that can be the thing that adds to it. And I think that that's what Soderbergh brings to what could have been a, like, B, maybe B-plus script. Greg? What's cooler than the Bellagio? The Ice thing cold. that keeps this movie from being a story about a washed-up guy who refuses to give up on former glory until he gets one of his friends killed is the fact that when Yen gets his hand stuck in the vault and should, for all purposes, be exploded right then and there, but lucks out because some element of the planning has failed and the batteries in the detonating device do not work, and so he's able to get away. This is a cool moment, and it's all all the other cool yeah. moments flow from it. Because if he gets blowed up right here and splattered all over the inside of the vault, <laughs> oh. nothing that happens in this movie is cool or cute or funny. It's kind of a different movie about how everything is like broken, and you're not like you have to give up on your past glories. When so they go I to the Bellagio, see two thirds of an Ocean's movie, and then one third of yeah. them. The door falls down, and just Yen is just like 
there's just like a pink mist inside the vault and they all look at each other like honestly what have we done like why did we do this you know a, a life has ended here forever so it's cool that it did it's cool that it. instead uh, it's kind of like they have a they have a fun quippy conversation and that actually includes george clooney saying like you don't see yen getting upset about it and right. yen's life is being saved at the moment by this moment so it's just it's fun because he should be dead he should be a dead person <laughs> but instead it's kind of like oh we gotta switch these batteries and but he should be dead well now i think a lot differently about this movie because there's so many moments that they wanted for us to pick like there's so many try hard cool moments and these are the two that we went with so <laughs> maybe this movie is a bunch I, of bullshit I, th- I think an under the radar cool moment is when he he uh, he reverse pickpockets linus yeah and his his business card only says his yeah. name no number because no he's email. the kind of guy who will <laughs> will always he knows he's gonna always write a handwritten message on no it facts. Uh, that's pretty cool but i like i like the old man version of cool given by ryan, ryan. Uh, it's very sweet uh what made you cringe greg uh obviously it's just basically like how the movie handles tests as a score. Julia Roberts comes in and really fights so much of that off, but there's still that lingering and in a movie that like celebrates in a kind of uncomplicated way a lot of masculinity, then also having her be like what the boys are fighting over and then her deciding who she's going to go with at the end. Just, you know, th- there's not a lot that's cringy in this movie, but that is cringy. That'll do it, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I like again. Like this was the time that I watched it, where I was sort of swept away by the old school Hollywood of just like this is how it used to work, and I don't know. Tried to fight against that. The thing that like was so stand out to me was how often the thing that like stood out even in a two thousand one movie was like, what does he speak Chinese? There's like four, three or four times where uh, the Chinese guy will speak his language, and they'll be like, mm-hmm. "I'm sorry, what did you just say?" And it's a punchline. Like, uh, right. That's this the is, only joke. This is before China put a stop to that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe this is a good thing that China did. Uh, <laughs> in the house, he uh, Ch- uh, Brad Pitt reveals that he knows Chinese. And then they all look at Brad yeah. Pitt like, what the fuck, man? Chinese? What are you, a weirdo? Uh, I thought that was such a cool character note that he... And then leave it alone, just, He doesn't flaunt it. He just doesn't. Don't, don't hang a lantern on it. And then when uh, they're in the van watching Matt Damon run around, uh, Yen has an idea for what he could do, but it's in Chinese. And then all four of them slowly turn around like, I'm sorry, what the fuck did you just say? Was yeah. that in Chinese? That was, it, like They use it as a punchline four times in the movie. Yeah, so it's, it's lazy and it's racist. Uh, another cringy moment is when Brad Pitt picks up George Clooney for the second time in the film from prison. Uh, he's yeah. in a tux... And Brad Pitt says, "I hope you were the groom." It's like we didn't. Yeah. Need, we got 2001. We got through this two hours. I was really movie hoping a gay he joke. was going to say we were both the groom. <laughs> <laughs> it was a marriage of two men. But uh, for this one, I got to give it to Greg. But uh, it is a film of its time. Performance, Ryan. Who gives the pound for pound performance? I mean, I would love to eventually give this to some sort of supporting player, but I think that every the essence of George Clooney, like we had a Rushmore. And I get how he is Everett from O Brother, and I get how he's Michael Clayton, and I get how he's Jack Foley from Out of Sight. But George Clooney's ability to just like be calm and get people to listen to him, I think that mm-hmm. Danny Ocean is the ultimate character for him. And like I like I buy it. If this was Brad Pitt, who I would never listen to, this movie would not work. Just the whole like Yeah. I mean like Well, he's unsettlingly handsome. 
Like, and it had, there's a danger there where George Clooney is uh, charmingly handsome and you can feel why everybody's like, why Bruiser, why literally everybody is just like, I'll go with yeah. you. <laughs> a little weathered, maybe. Like a little, seems oh, a little yeah. smarter. Definitely. Um, more ma- a little bit more masculine. Yeah, a little less perfect. Yeah. A little more action. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that his whole thing sets Soderbergh. As much as I, like, as much credit as I want to give for Soderbergh making this a great movie, I think that it's Clooney's uh qua, like his essence mm. that sort of makes this movie. And I think I I there's so many people that I want to give it to and I'll uh talk about them after Greg goes, but I think I got to go with the uh the Clooners. For me Greg. it's uh Julia Roberts because I really feel like this movie is is in danger of tripping over its own dick a lot of different times and I think she comes in and just keeps that from happening by really just like turning out you know, it's pound for pound performance, right? So she's not in it that much, but she's doing like the best acting in the movie in her scenes. And I just think that she adds a dimension to it that keeps the movie from just being sort of um, boys stuff. And without it hanging a lantern on that. Yeah, I don't feel like the movie there, goes out of its no way. There's no Avengers girls get it done vibe. Oh, God, it's, yeah. She just quietly crushes everybody's performance into dust. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And it's just like, remember I was in that other movie just last year? I was pretty good in that, too. All right. Everybody, uh, have a good day, everybody. Greg. Peace out. That one's going to Greg. Uh, I want to give note, too, though, that like we were all supposed to say Casey Affleck and Scotty Kahn, but Carl, <laughs> Carl Reiner and uh, Elliot Gould, I uh, do so much more than those two in every oh, fucking yeah. way possible. Yeah. Uh, they are, they are the perfect amount of like over the top, but fit in this right. movie. Um, that those two are still human. Yeah, that those two other guys could not do. So like those two guys, I thought like those two guys make this movie. Scott Conn and nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Ryan gets deducted points. There. Greg, <laughs> director's director's signature moment. Okay, um, so. I think it's when uh, Carl Reiner is like laying out, going over the whole plan and about how difficult it is and how improbable it is. And uh, there's like this very slow, like zoom in the whole time. And he's just like recapping for all the groundlings who maybe have like zoned out recently. And then he gets to the (laughs) end of it and it goes, and after all that, we're just, they're just supposed to let us walk out with it. And we get, we go back to George Clooners and he goes, yeah, exactly. And it's like, hell yeah, dude. (laughs) We've just had the whole heist laid out and you're not going to tell us how we're going to do this part with the money and we don't even care because you're so cool and we know that you know and that's all that really matters. It makes no sense. You shouldn't try to hide any part of your plan from your team, but it makes it cool and that's what this the whole movie is in service to. Ryan? All right. One of the reasons that Soderbergh is my number one director, even though that Mike insists that my number one director is Noah Baumbach, and that's not really his decision. That's my decision, but yet he still forces I, me I'm to say I'm just looking it. at facts. He forces me to say that it's Noah Baumbach is efficiency. And we've already talked about how tonight, like anybody else would have made this movie two and a half or three hours. Um, but I like how, I love how Soderbergh like, takes this pretty typical script, if we're going to be honest, and makes it different and makes it more efficient. And I think the best part of that, and then also like shines a light on, uh, you know, like how movies used to work, you know, like all of his inspirations. And I think the best way to do that, or the like the best example of that is when we're in a hallway and we see golf balls going into a cup. So golf ball, golf ball, golf ball. And then it is Andy Garcia on the phone talking tough, you know, uh, what's his name? Tony, Tony Benedict mm-hmm. saying like, no, yeah, get him. 
get him, kill him, put him in the sand or whatever the fuck casino owners say. And then he walks from where he's shooting, where he's putting golf uh, golf balls into the bathroom. But the camera stays, goes onto the mirror of Julia Roberts. And then it zooms in a little bit, which is a little like 70s, like, uh, let's let, let, let scoot in and ignore everything else. It's all uh-huh. the same take. But we see Julia Roberts go from like, I am not sure who I love. And this is weird for me. Which of these two handsome dudes am I into? And then uh, Benedict asks her, what are you thinking about? And she's like, then she goes back to full on acting. Oh, nothing. Oh, I'm thinking about you. She says, I'm thinking about you. There's no way that if you're in the same room with somebody that you're actually thinking about them. Uh, But yeah, like that could have been 12 pages of screenplay. And I love how Soderbergh does it all in one take, zooms in when he needs to. And I think that's 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 what I want from him. Yeah, the the, the combination of uh, efficiency and camera work. Uh, right. Unfortunately, have to give Why? it to Ryan. Those are your mostly because I love what the rise it gets out of you. Those are your oceanies for the evening. When we come back, it is to reveal who will be my best friend next week and how we think Ocean's Eleven. We'll do in the bracket. Taste buds. My tasty, tasty buds. How yes. are you feeling Ocean's Eleven can do in the this is This is not the worst movie we have watched so far. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely not the, it's not the worst movie that we've watched so far. But it, then what is, though? Are you saying ever or 2001? No, in 2001. I'm saying this is not the worst movie we've watched in 2001. Oh. No, this is the worst movie that we... No, this is better than Lord of the Rings. Yeah, this is better than Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is fun, but this is a better movie. I agree. I think this is better than Lord of the Rings. Is that weird, Mike, for us to say? I mean, they're both ensemble pieces. They're both about the found family you find. They're kind of the same movie, right? Uh, they're kind yeah, of the same they really movie, are. But this Let's one the is band together. so much This is better. a reverse heist. This is you're trying to get the thing in the place instead <laughs> of take the thing out of the place. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, this um, is better. And they are, they are also kind of like, those two movies, though, they should be compared to each other, these two movies, because they, they exist on the same tier, I think, which is very solid. Like, nothing wrong with them. Great. Very cool, but just like I want to go. Quite... I want to go be moved. I'm going to eat a ton of popcorn, and I want. Yeah. I want to be in the hands of masters. I really like, do think I that, like, be with Lord exciting. of the Rings, and Ocean's Eleven, we're in the hands of masters. Yeah, I want it to be exciting and fun and funny, but at the same time, like, also really good, and it it delivers on all that. But it's just there is a gear that's missing, and I think that you know, like, Spirited Away has that that gear the royal tenenbaums has that gear piano teacher thank god has that gear um <laughs> thank god you said it right is that what that yeah thank god, god i said it right for the first time in like eight episodes the piano is uh but like <laughs> like spirit away is hard because spirit away has all of the excitement of lord of the rings and uh oceans 11 and then so much more yeah. you know like uh that one's rough but i do i i do want to be on a podcast where we can look at piano teacher which is trying to say so much and Ocean's Eleven, Lord of the Rings, and be like, you know what? Actually, these are better than Piano Teacher. And that's the kind of podcast you are on and helped form, Ryan. Are they though? We'll see. Uh, in, theory, in a few in weeks, theory, yes. In theory, yes. I mean, you are on that theory. kind of podcast. I don't know if we're saying that right here tonight. Yeah, uh, I, w- that's I will. The theory say, of the case, though. Ha- the, the last time I watched it, I, I think there is something so different about watching it and having to like break it down. The last time, it's like, eh, it's fine. And this time so much more getting why it's reputation and i kind of want to watch the other ones even though 
depending on who you talk to, they are not good. Or twelve is twelve is the secret best. Twelve is twelve is is really interesting because well, it's way it's it's like another layer of meta because it's about being a sequel. Yeah, I I don't know if I would feel the way I feel about eleven if I hadn't seen twelve. Like their whole like fuck around who gives a shit thing. Yeah, I think that's because I saw twelve. Like the last ten minutes of twelve are mind blowingly insane and stupid. <laughs> In a fun way. Yeah, like Fast and Furious ways. Yeah, like do you not know a, what happens? No, I I don't think I've seen. You should watch it, dude. You should watch it. Is it we the should... one with Julia Roberts as Julia Roberts? Yes, it is. And Julia Roberts. Uh, and but yeah, I want fucking... to celebrate the whole franchise. I love heists so much. <laughs> and now, gentlemen, how do you feel you did personally tonight? I think I did terrible. I think that, uh, well, I think that Mike's a bad host and that I liked the movie too much and I liked myself too much. And I think I complimented Greg too much. And I think that Mike doesn't have any time for any of those things. I think it was I think it was a, a lo- I think it was a low scoring night um because the movie had things to celebrate but it didn't it didn't engender I think the the deeper levels of conversation mm-hmm. so I imagine it was kind of a low scoring night Ryan I think probably you did edge me I think Ryan's always edging uh yeah. which is never quite coming and I think Greg you always think Ryan did better Ryan always thinks he lost and it's my fault uh, and that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I do have to like, this is, I, I got to say like these scores I, I think are because of the things Greg said. So it's not necessarily your fault, but Ryan, you got a pitiful 27. Uh-huh. So that means I won then. The way he's but saying he did that win. is, yeah, that, yeah. Greg that got 25. that's his new thing that he's been doing. Yeah, every week. It's though, hurtful to me. It's not Greg, every week. Every week he has to do this shit. Change it up every time. That's true. That way you don't know. Right. Cause we used to just, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to. People Honestly, that love it. I love that self care. I think it's important. <laughs> and, and, I mean, in this economy, you got to. Uh, that is Ocean's Eleven. I had fun talking to you both about it. Next week, listener, we are stepping Sweet out listener. of just talking about one movie and talking about numerous in a state of the franchise. And the following week, we're talking about E2 Mama Tambien. Until then, Man, keep watching host. those movies. Yeah. Come on.